Well, it's so good to see you here tonight. I'm glad that you could come out and enjoy this beautiful Arizona June day. <laughs> I think some people came to church for the first time today just because of how hot it was. They're like, that's hot enough. I'm going to church. That's it. So, hey, I want to welcome you if this is your first time or if you're coming back for the hundredth time. We're continuing this series that we've been in uh, called The Elephant in the Room, and we've been talking about some of the more awkward topics that exist in our culture, and um, this week is no different. We're talking about something that's a little bit difficult to discuss for some people, and for some people, I could tell that there's been a level of anxiety leading up to this evening as we discuss the subject of divorce, and it's a real issue, but I believe that this is going to be an encouraging night for you. In Matthew chapter 19, this is what we read, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So this is a very difficult passage to read, and especially today in this country where divorce is so common. Now, You've all heard the traditional wedding vows. Some of you just said those vows not long ago as newlyweds or, or maybe you just saw someone else who you love get married and we've all kind of heard these vows where we say, you know, I, I take you to be my wife, I take you to be my husband and I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna cherish you, I'm gonna keep you and, and comfort you forsaking all others as, as long as we both shall live, right? And, and then, and then they, they always have a symbol of their love, a ring. It's always a ring. As a pastor who does weddings, I'm always disappointed that people aren't more original, but they're like, a ring. I'm like, a ring, of course. And so they're like, I gave you this ring as a symbol of my love, and I bestow upon you all my earthly goods. And for some of you, that's not a lot. And then you're like, um, I'm gonna be married to you um, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, and, and until death does us part, right? And, and so that's the kind of the vows we hear, different types of those vows, different versions. And I, I sometimes roll my eyes when I see people getting married because I'm just like, honestly, you probably shouldn't be making those vows. I hear a lot of people get married and, and their vows really should be like, I take you to be my spouse until I'm done with you. And then I'm gonna throw you aside. And I think it'd be a lot more honest if people said, you know, instead of a symbol of their love as a ring, I think they should say, I, I give you as a symbol of my love this axe. Because <laughs> you better love me good or else I'm cutting you off, right? That'd be a lot more intellectually honest. And, and, and then we just, it's not really helped the situation when, when divorce is now so acceptable and so, so just really kind of nonchalant. You know, I got Kanye yelling out, we want prenup, we want prenup. I'm like, come on, man, help me out here. Right? Like, and this is an issue in our society. Now, when we talk about 
divorce, all kinds of feelings come up. Some people have gone through divorce and it's painful thinking about what you went through or you think about your ex and what he or she did to you or maybe um, you had parents who got divorced and so you're thinking about different feelings that come with that. You came to church, you hear about this subject of divorce being discussed and you're worried right now. Am I gonna be condemned? Am I gonna be made to feel guilty? And I want you to know you don't need to be scared tonight because this is a safe place. And I didn't come here tonight to talk about your past. So you got to just kind of breathe out a sigh of relief and understand we're not here to talk about your past. We're here to talk about your future. And I believe that your future will be better when you understand how God feels about marriage and divorce. Divorce is an issue and we hear so many people talk about divorce and, and, and it's become so common. But I, I just want you to know that if you have been divorced right up front, I don't, think, I, I don't think the divorce is your identity. It does not define you. And you're not gonna be condemned here if you've experienced this. But it is important for us to talk about this issue because as we go forward from this evening into the future, whether you are married or if you hope to be married at some point in the future, you need to hear this next part, this warning, we're all at risk for divorce. I'm at risk for divorce. You're like, you are, Pastor? Are you okay? I'm great. We're great. But there's a risk. You're at risk for, if you're married and you got breath in your lungs, there's a risk. And, and being aware of that risk, knowing that it's always, it's always out there, will help keep you on guard against the things that lead to divorce. And I think sometimes having a healthy fear of failure can help propel you towards success. I even know people who said, never me. I'll, I'll never get divorced is not an option. I know pastors who preached um, and, and taught on marriage and they even did premarital counseling and now they're divorced. And so it just shows you that no matter who you are, there's a risk. And none of us want that. Most of you, 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 you want to have a good relationship with your spouse. You want what's best for your kids. And we know that divorce is hard on kids. And, and we know that, that that's not what we want. We're all on the same page. Yet, we, we see that there's a problem with marriage in our society. Um, one survey showed that almost half of young people surveyed said they believe that marriage is a dying institution. And yet the same group, 95% of those young adults said they still wanted to get married. Isn't that crazy? I think that's because we inherently know that, that God designed us for this. In the New York Times in 2015, it said, after full lives together, more older couples are divorcing. Now, one out of four divorces take place with couples 50 years of age or older. Uh, I remember one lady in the article, she said, after 23 years of marriage, the marriage had run out of juice. That's a pretty long time to be married and then run out of juice, right? Take it, it was prune juice, but it ran out. Then there was another lady who was married for 37 years and she split with her husband and she said, he went in one direction and I went in another. I don't want you to wake up 27, 37, 47 years from now and find yourself having gone in different directions from your spouse, wondering how do we get there? My purpose for preaching this message is so that I pray we'll see less divorce in our future. And that's what we all want. Maybe you're here tonight, you've got a great marriage, you and your spouse, you're madly in love with each other, but you see all these people getting divorced around you and you hear the statistics and you're like, well, I don't want that to happen to us. How can we avoid that? 
Or maybe you're here tonight and your marriage is in rough shape. Maybe it's just really on the brink of failure. Um, maybe you've even talked about divorce or considered it. Maybe your marriage feels hopeless and not happy. I need you to hear me. And as I say this, you have a choice. You have a choice. The choices that you make every day, I believe, will take you one step closer. Every day you make choices that take you either one step closer to divorce or one step closer to a lifelong, satisfying, God-honoring marriage. But the choices you make every day will determine where you end up. And listen, it's not too late to make new choices and turn your relationship around no matter how far gone it seems it may be. I've seen countless couples who appear to be on the brink of divorce, even having signed papers, come back from the edge after understanding what God wants for them. When the subject of divorce comes up, the common questions that everyone asks are this. Um, so when can you get divorced? When is it okay in God's eyes? Um, or someone wants to say, well, you know, here's my situation. Here's what I went through. Here's why I got divorced. And they want to talk about their reasons. And that's kind of what we see happening with Jesus in the passage we read in Matthew 19. These Pharisees came to Jesus and Pharisees were religious leaders. They were teachers of the law and of the scriptures in the Jewish community. Um, and they came to Jesus. They asked him, uh, Jesus... When can a guy get divorced? Like, when can he send his wife away? Is it just for any old reason he wants? And you have to understand that there was a debate in the community at the time. Different schools of thought and different rabbis taught differently. One school of thought was, well, you can divorce your wife for any reason you want. And back in these days, it, that meant, you know, if she burns the dinner, throw her out. Then there was another school of thought that said, you can divorce your wife if you find another woman who's more attractive than her. And all the wives are like, boo. And then there's another school of thought that said, you know, only if your spouse commits adultery can you divorce your wife. And so it was a hot topic of debate. But you also have to understand that these guys weren't coming to Jesus and asking this question because they just innocently wanted to know the answer. They were trying to trap him. It's a trap, Jesus. And, and see, what happened was his cousin... John the Baptist had previously called out this guy, Herod, who was the ruler of the area. Because Herod divorced his wife and married his sister-in-law. That's pretty shady, right? That's like some desperate housewives, Kardashian stuff right there. And John the Baptist was like, you shouldn't do that. And he called him out and said, you're an adulterer. And what had happened to John the Baptist, he got thrown in prison and beheaded for calling out Herod. So now these guys, these come, they come to Jesus and they're like, what do you think about divorce, Jesus? They're hoping to get him in trouble so they can end his ministry. So they're asking about exceptions. And that's what we tend to think about when it comes to divorce. Exceptions and reasons and justifications. And Jesus, rather than talking about exceptions, he takes the conversation back to God's intentions. And that's what we need to do. We need to spend a lot less time thinking and talking about exceptions and a lot more time planning and trying to uphold God's vision for marriage. God loves marriage, church. He loves marriage because marriage illustrates our relationship with God in a lot of really interesting and different ways. Jesus said to these Pharisees, um, I love how he said this, have you not read the scriptures? He was talking some serious trash right there. 
because he was talking to the Pharisees. These guys were like the scholars of their day. They were experts in the scriptures. Many of them had all the Old Testament books, the first five books memorized by heart. And so he's there like, have you not read the scriptures? That's like saying to Tom Brady, have you not seen a football? Like he was making fun of them, which I love about Jesus. It's like my favorite thing. He talks trash. He's got a good trash talking game. And so he's like, have you not read the scriptures? And he kind of takes it back to Genesis. And he says, in the beginning, God made them male and female. He first made Adam. And he's like, well, this isn't good. We can't leave Adam all on his own. So he made, he made a woman and he brought them together. And he says, that's why a man and woman leave their parents Leave their parents, young people, leave their parents. And they come together and the two unite and they become one flesh, one flesh. And he's not just talking about physically coming together. He is saying that in God's design, two people come together with two separate identities. And when they join together, they form a new identity as one family unit. So because this is such a powerful and spiritual joining together, he says, let no one split apart what God has joined together. God loves marriage. And here are a few reasons why. Because marriage allows us to better mirror God's image. All of you are made in the image of God and in his likeness. Like no other part of creation. God loves the animals, but he didn't make the animals in his image. He loves you because you're made in his image in a special way. But when you come together with your spouse, you look a little more like God. Have you ever thought about that? Because God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three in one, and they live together in perfect relationship and harmony, and they enjoy each other. They comfort each other. They help each other. They work together. And when you come together with your spouse, you're coming together two in one, not three in one. Sorry, Mormons. Two in one. They don't do that anymore. Two in one. And you work together, right? You help each other. You comfort each other. You hopefully enjoy each other. And you mirror God's image a little more with your masculine strengths and your feminine strengths. It's a beautiful thing. So you mirror God's image. Another thing that happens in marriage is you maximize the impact that you can make for God. Because God calls men to cultivate and to build and he gave men um, wives to, to help them and partner with them in that effort to come alongside and build together. And, and that's why guys love it so much when their wife will, will partner with him and, and build with him. And, and that's what you guys need to do is, is a, a married couple come together and, and make it your goal together as a married unit to build your family and to cultivate your household together side by side. And, and husbands, I want you to lead the way. God designed you to be the leader of your household. So you have to take responsibility to, to head up the charge. And then wives, you're there right beside him. You're, you're helping him. Sometimes you're, you're pulling him back because he's like getting out of hand. Sometimes you're cheering him on like, yeah, you're so strong. You're so manly. I love you. You're the best. And he's like, I can do it because you're cheering for me. And that's really what, what God loves. So when we come together, two are better than one. Amen? So that's really awesome. And then here's another thing that's cool about marriage. Marriage models the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. Marriage is the illustration which God chose to explain to us in ways that we could understand how he feels about you, his church. Jesus coming to save you 
as part of his church, it, it models the most adventurous romance you could ever imagine. Jesus comes, he pursues you, he wins your freedom, he takes you back out of captivity, and, and he gives you all the blessings that are possible to give, and he makes you part of his family, he gives you his name, he promises never to leave you or forsake you. He says, we're gonna be together forever, me and my people, and I'm never gonna leave you, I'm never gonna let you down, I'll always be with you. So we see how much God loves marriage and how it models his relationship with us. And that's why it makes sense that God says, I hate divorce. God does not say, I hate divorced people. Okay, so hear me. He didn't say, I hate divorced people. He said, I hate divorce. I hate the action of divorce. And the world says it's not a big deal. It's not really a problem. People get divorced all the time for irreconcilable differences or they just couldn't make it work. But it's a very big deal to God. God designed marriage to be permanent. So we cannot treat it like it's breakable when God made it permanent. Getting divorced is serious. It's not just picking a new dance partner, right? It's not just trading in your old lease for a new model. Getting divorced spiritually is the equivalent of having a limb torn off. That's why it's so traumatic and so painful. I think it's one of the most painful things a human being can experience, maybe that and losing a child, because we were not designed to experience this. Here's what it says in Malachi chapter two. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altars with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. This is God speaking to his people. He says, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why, because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union, so guard your heart. This is why we said that you're at risk for divorce, because you've got to be on guard. Guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. So here's what he says, guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. You gotta guard your heart. This is why I said we're at risk because there is a real threat. We have to be on guard, okay? So Jesus is saying that divorce is not supposed to be an option to just bail out of a marriage, that, that God intended it to be permanent. So these Pharisees, as we read at the beginning, they were like, well, objection. Then why did Moses allow men to divorce their wives and to send them away according to the law? That's a good question. Because in the Old Testament, we do read that Moses laid down guidelines for how a man should divorce his wife. So what's that about? We have to wonder. Well, the problem is back in that day, men were just discarding their wives for all kinds of foolish and sinful reasons. And back in those days, of course, thousands of years ago, we're talking, if a wife was just discarded by her husband and thrown out, thrown out, it basically left her to live a life of poverty or even maybe prostitution to even just survive. And so God, he never intended divorce to be an option for marriage, but he said, because of your hard hearts, we've got to limit the damage from what's happening here. And so he said, if you are going to divorce your wife, you have to give her a certificate of divorce so that she can show she's an honorable woman and she isn't going to be left destitute. So Jesus is saying this wasn't part of God's plan, okay? 
He did this, God allowed this only because of your hard hearts. Now, I do want to address this. As you read what Jesus is saying in this passage, you have to have an awareness of the context of what's going on in this conversation. These are Pharisees who were not really good guys. They were not friends of Jesus, and they were coming to try to trap him. So when he responds to them, it sounds a little bit cold, sounds a little bit uncaring, And so we have a lot of people in this church who are either in a broken marriage or maybe you know someone who you love who was divorced and you're like, man, doesn't seem very sympathetic. But Jesus is always very sympathetic to hurting and broken people. He's firm with hard-hearted people like these Pharisees, but with broken-hearted people, he's tender. That's what we see in the gospels when there's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery And these other religious guys, they wanted to stone her. And that's what they did in that time. But Jesus stopped them. He said, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. And then he he knelt down to this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. I mean, that's totally embarrassing. And you would think, you know, Jesus, he's like, Jesus. So he's probably going to condemn her and like preach a sermon at her. And he just says, daughter, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. And so you see with broken people, Jesus is tenderhearted and loving, and he's sympathetic to our pain. And I think because of different issues and different reasons throughout time in different churches, people get this terrible, this terrible fear of the stigma that's associated with divorce. And it's this heavy thing. It makes us very anxious. And you have to understand when you read scripture that Jesus does not want to punish those who are divorced. It's not in his heart to even do that. What he's trying to do, what he wants for us is to point us to God's vision. Now, we got to talk about this. God only allows divorce as a concession to hard hearts. Some people become hard-hearted, and we've all seen that happen, where people, they just become increasingly hard-hearted, and the person you used to know is no longer really there, and now this is a different person that you're dealing with. Sometimes people are hard-hearted towards God, and they don't want to listen to him. God, he makes allowances for divorce because of people's hard hearts. Now, he never commands anyone to get divorced, but he allows us to. So a couple of the reasons we see in Scripture mentioned are For one, fornication. If you're in a marriage with someone and that person commits adultery, your spouse, biblically, that would give a Christian grounds to initiate a divorce. And I also think in the modern day that we live in, another problem that's similar to that would be ongoing, unrepentant um, use of pornography. So ongoing, hard-hearted, adultery, cheating, um, maybe ongoing, hard-hearted, unrepentant use of pornography. That is violating your marriage vow to forsake all others, and that's being unfaithful. So that's one reason. Another reason that's mentioned in Scripture is abandonment. In 1 Corinthians 7.15, Paul writes this, but if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. So he's saying, if you're abandoned, you might just have to let the person go. But you want to understand God's heart towards this issue. His heart is that even if it's permissible, it's not always preferable. God, even though he makes allowances for us to get divorced, really what he loves is when we reconcile together. And to see this, I think you have to look at how God reacts to us, his people. 
and he talks to us. His people, all of us, we can all agree that there's been times, some of you maybe are in the middle of this season right now, maybe you remember this season in your life not that long ago where we were hard-hearted towards God and we ran from God and we could even say we were unfaithful to God. And yet what we see is he continues to pursue us and love us and call us back to him. And we can read an example of this in the book of Jeremiah. God is speaking to his people and he's using the language of marriage and adultery. He says, like a wife who commits adultery, Israel has worshiped other gods on every hill and under every green tree. I thought after she has done this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her faithless sister Judah saw this. She saw that I divorced faithless Israel because of her adultery, but that treacherous sister Judah had no fear, and now she too has left me and given herself to prostitution. Israel treated it all so lightly. She thought nothing of committing adultery by worshiping idols made of wood and stone. So what is God talking about here? He's speaking to his people, the people of Israel, and the people of the nation of Judah, and he's saying, I'm your God. Remember the, one of the first, the first command, you have no other gods before me. And yet they were committing adultery, so to speak, by worshiping idols day and night on every hill and under every tree. And God is saying, it's like a, a faithless wife who's left her husband to commit adultery. God's saying, that's what you've done to me. But then look what he goes on to say in that same chapter. But you have been unfaithful to me, you people of Israel. You have been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. But look what his response is to them. My wayward children, come back to me. And I will heal your wayward hearts. This is God speaking to a rebellious and sinful people who probably just deserve to be destroyed. And yet he's saying, come back to me. I want you back. I haven't given up on you. I want to have a relationship with you. If you'll just return to me, I will return to you. I'll restore you and I'll bless you. And, and you know, we don't deserve this love from God, but this is how he treats us and feels about us. God pursues unfaithful people and he pleads for them to come back. God hates division, but he loves reconciliation. He loves when people work out their differences and reconcile their relationship and restore what was broken. So we, we talked about some of the exceptions that God makes for divorce, maybe, maybe cheating or abandonment. But, but understand, in this day and age, the research that I found says that only about 16 or 17 percent of divorces are because of adultery. Most divorces which happen today are because people aren't happy. That's what it really boils down to. They'd say, I'm not happy and I'm afraid that I'll never be happy. And for a lot of people, this fear of never being happy drives them to abandon their marriage. And that's why today, 70 percent of divorces are initiated by women. Because they're afraid, I think, that they'll be trapped in an unhappy relationship. But I want you to understand this about God. God does want you to be happy. He does. But he wants you to be happy as you do the things which make him happy. Right? So people always say, like, well, I'm going to get divorced. I'm like, no, that's not really what God wants for you. He wants you to restore your relationship. And then I'll hear this excuse, well, God wants me to be happy. Like, don't bring God into this. Like, he wants you to be happy as you do what is right because when you do what is right, his joy will follow you all the days of your life. So understand that. And more so, God knows that divorce won't fix an unhappy life. God knows this and he wants you to know this. 
Divorce won't fix your life if it's an unhappy life. Maybe you're in the middle of a marriage and it's very difficult right now and maybe it's bitter and resentful and there's no joy and maybe you want to leave because you'd say, I'm not happy. Maybe you have a friend that's in this situation who says, I'm not happy. I would stop you right there. Let's stop and think about this and talk about this because there was a time when you were happy. Remember that time? Back when your relationship first started and you couldn't get enough of each other, could you? You're always thinking about each other and twirling your hair and texting each other and like, and like you hang up. No, you hang up. I miss you. I miss you more. And you like think of ways that you could be around each other and you drive hours through snowstorms just to spend time together for a, a couple minutes and, and you'll be so happy and that person comes in the room and your heart beats faster and everything they said was so funny and everything she wore was so beautiful and you loved each other, right? And then, then what happened? Something changed. Something changed, and and it changed the dynamic of the relationship. The thing that changed is that you stopped doing the things you did when you felt the way that you felt. You changed. Your behavior changes in marriage. That's what changes. That's what leads people to be unhappy. One minute, your spouse came in the room, and you just newly was, and you're and I will always love you. And then the next minute she comes home, you're like, bye, bye, bye. Like, what happened? You changed, man. What ha- that's what happened. If you're in an unhappy marriage, I would challenge you and say you didn't get there overnight. Right? Like, we read that one lady, she said, the marriage ran out of juice. And I'm like, well, it's because you stopped making the juice. Right? You got to make the juice. I want to have a lot of juice in my <laughs> But if you want to have the juice, you got to plant some trees. And you got to cut some weeds, right? And you got to kill some bugs. And then, after a little while, you got to pick the fruit. And then you got to work and you got to squeeze the fruit, right? And then you get to drink the juice. You know what I'm saying? It takes work. It takes work. But that's, that's what happens is we stop doing the work. And so we stop feeling the love the way that we used to. And so things change, you know, you used, to, you used to participate in the life of your family actively. And then you stopped. You used to find the little things that he or she did so cute. Like, man, so cute when he burps. He's so masculine the way he burps. So cute. Now you just want to throw up. And you used to just, you used to just uh, forgive so easily. And, and, and that's because the Bible says love covers over a multitude of sins. But now you like get offended and you hold on to it. And you're still thinking about it six months later, even though she said she was sorry. And you're still like, but yeah, remember that one time? And, and see, that's offense. And we hold on to offense. And then you start to focus on what the other person should be doing for you. And, and you used to think about what you could do for, for him or for her. And that's, that's kind of what changed. It's, it's kind of it's some, some of the same reasons that people get bitter and leave their church. See, I, I, I would say no wonder you're not happy. 
No wonder you're not happy if your marriage is like that, if you're treating each other like that, if you've become self-centered and self-focused. You don't get to drink the juice until you do those things that lead to juice, right? I would say it this way. If you want to have that harvest, the harvest of happiness in your life, you've got to plow with perseverance. You've got to plant seeds of steadiness, And then after a season, when you've been devoted, you get to drink. Man, that's how we have satisfying and lasting marriages that honor God. And you can have a marriage like that. You can. There's a reason that second and third marriages fail at a higher rate. It's because people get divorced thinking, I'm not happy, so the answer is to get out of this marriage and then I'll be happy. But the thing is, they just don't become happy all of a sudden. They go from marriage to marriage looking for happiness. And and that's what will happen if you don't understand where happiness truly comes from. You'll be that person going from well to well to well, looking to find satisfaction. But as each well dries up and you look for another one and you look for another one, you find yourself in an endless cycle of frustration and disappointment. This is what happened with Jesus when he encountered a woman at a well. He met a woman at a well and he started talking to her And through course of conversation, it came out, she had five husbands. You can feel pretty good about yourself no matter where you're at. Because that's a lot of failed marriage. Right? And, And so in the course of this conversation, he's talking to her. And he discovered and showed her that you're going from marriage to marriage to marriage. And you're looking for satisfaction. And what he said to her is the thing that we all need to hear. The only thing that will satisfy you is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the living water. Whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. And so when you understand that satisfaction and happiness comes through Jesus, it frees you up to love your spouse without crushing him or her with the expectation that he or she will satisfy you in every way, which he or she cannot. Only Jesus can. So I, I want to help you have this kind of marriage in your life. And I want to give you some practical uh, steps and tips, which I believe will divorce proof your marriage. I know we said that there's a risk and there always will be a risk and you've got to stand guard, but there are some keys which will essentially divorce proof your marriage. I wish I could give you keys that would guarantee that you'll be rich, but I can't. I wish I could give you keys which will guarantee that you'll live to be 100 and never get sick, but I can't. But I can give you some keys which will divorce proof your marriage. First, you need to have a gospel-centered relationship. And maybe you're new to church or, or you're not really sure what that means, so I'll explain it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that we were sinners who could not save ourselves. And so Jesus came and lived righteously on our behalf. He was innocent and he took our punishment on the cross when he died so that he could pay the price which we owed, which allowed him to forgive us. And we are all like, hey, I can't say myself, I'm a sinner. I've been saved by the grace of God. I don't deserve it. It's a free gift. I'm not perfect. I just accepted the grace of God. And so now I get to live in his love. And we all have to continue to walk in that love. And we know, according to the gospel, that even though we don't deserve and we still mess up, God's love to us is faithful. And so if you'll have a gospel-centered relationship, it will change your perspective in how you look at your spouse or your future spouse. And you'll, you'll look at that person and you'll say, wait a second, that person 
is also just a sinner who is saved by the grace of God. Oh, she can't be perfect the same way that I can't be perfect. She's only, only saved because of the grace of God. And, and she's relying on God to help her grow in the same way that I am. That will change your perspective in the way that you look at each other. You'll start to serve one another the way that Christ serves the church, and your perspective will shift. But then let me give you a couple really practical steps that will divorce-proof your marriage. You need regular church attendance and participation. Regular church attendance. Okay, so you've all heard the statistics which say that about 50% of marriages end in divorce. Those are some statistics that have been around for a while. But when people are, are surveyed who go to church on a regular basis, that number drops from 50% to less than 10%. That's a huge drop, right? Huge increase in odds of success. Just going on a regular basis. You know, go on vacation still by all means. Sometimes you get sick. But if you'll prioritize going to church on a regular basis, it will dramatically improve your odds of having a successful marriage. It's just common sense, right? Because if you come into God's presence and you hang out with God's people and you listen to God's word on a regular basis, it's going to transform you whether you like it or not. That's what's happened to so many people, many of you, in fact. If you'll come to church and participate, you'll find what many people have found. When they're surveyed, they found that people who attend church on a regular basis with their spouse reported a higher level of marital satisfaction. Isn't that crazy? It makes sense, though. And then they found that people who participate in the life of their church had an even higher level of marriage satisfaction. So don't just come participate. I'm just making it very practical for you. You can divorce-proof your marriage. Let's make it go even one step further. This will divorce-proof your marriage. Regular prayer and Bible reading. Research has shown that couples who pray together stay together. If you would just take a couple minutes and pray with your spouse and maybe read the Bible together once in a while, you can essentially guarantee that you'll not get divorced. Couples surveyed who pray together, the number who get divorced was one in 10,000. Isn't that incredible? And see, it doesn't have to be this like, just huge spiritual moment that's weird or anything. Just listen, just take your, your, your spouse's hand and say, let's just pray real quick for each other. And just thank God for that person and pray that God would bless them and protect them. And if you'll just take a couple minutes to do that, you would be shocked at how it changes your relationship with each other. Listen, guys, you want to be leaders? Maybe you don't want to, but you are, right? You can lead the way in this. Just take the hand of your wife. And you might feel awkward. I even feel awkward doing it sometimes. Just do it and say, I'm going to pray for you. And ask her to pray for you. Right? Isn't it worth it? Like, even if it's just a little bit awkward, isn't it worth it to do this and guarantee that you'll have a long-lasting, satisfying, God-honoring marriage instead of the pain and the heartbreak that so many people experience if you'll just pray together God will bless your marriage. And listen, if you need help, if your marriage is in a really bad place this weekend, we want to help you get back on track. And and you're not going to have to figure this out on your own. We have free marriage counseling, which we can help you um, with. And and you can sign up for that. There's sign-up sheets in your bulletin that you can turn in. And we'll get you connected to someone who can help you. 
Now listen, as we close tonight, I do just want to just kind of land here. You cannot control what other people do. And some of you are at a place in your life where you'd say, look, I I tried to do the right thing, but my ex just kind of did his thing. She did her thing. I couldn't change what, what she chose. I couldn't change what he did. And you're here and you'd say, you know, I wanted to do what's right. I wanted to have a long-lasting marriage, but I find myself here in this position. And, and it's because we all know that we cannot control what other people do. We can want to do the right thing, but we can't make other people do the right thing. And so I, I think when we have that realization and understanding, it should make us even more grateful for the unfailing love of our God. That even though other people will forsake us and fail us, and there will be people who abandon you who you never would have thought would, God will never leave you. And I love this passage in Lamentations chapter 3, which says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, right? Even though we fail every day, his mercies are new every morning. Every day he's ready to show us mercy. His love is steadfast, even though we are kind of like this and we go all over the place and we're up and we're down, we're hot, we're cold. God is faithful. His love is faithful. He's faithful to you. And he's saying, I still love you. I still, you messed up. I still love you. I don't love you when you do a good job and love you less when you mess up. God's like, I love you steady. I'm here. I'm faithful. And it's that comfort that comes from knowing God is faithful which gets us through those hardest moments in life. And you can experience the faithful love of God the way that you do is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus to this world so that we could understand God's love. Jesus was the physical manifestation of God's love. He is the walking, talking manifestation of God's faithful love for you. That's why he died for you and rose again so that God could pour out his love on you. And if you'll confess that you need God's forgiveness and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved and you will be restored in relationship to God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That through faith in Jesus, we're saved, not by our own actions. No one can boast about it. It's just God's grace that saves us.